Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Fasting. It's one of the best biohacks because there are so many benefits to your body and it doesn't even cost anything. Fasting can help you live longer, increase your brain power, and even turn back your biological age because it induces something called autophagy. Autophagy swaps out old or damaged parts of your cells with fresh new ones. There is now an awesome product called Spermidine Life that actually tricks your body into thinking it's fasting, which triggers autophagy without any actual fasting required. Spermidine Life is extracted from non-GMO plants and it's super clean. Fast smarter, not harder. Add Spermidine Life to your stack today, whether or not you practice intermittent fasting. Go to spermidinelife.us, use code ASPRI25 for 25% off your first purchase. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. You're listening to a special episode. If you caught the last one, in fact, if you haven't caught the episode before this one, you need to go back and listen to it because this is part two of my epic interview with Steve Folks, who doesn't like it when I call him a biohacking badass, even though that's what he is. <laughs> so Steve Folks is the head of the Cognitive Enhancement Research Institute. He's an advisor to the Silicon Valley Health Institute, the anti-aging research group that I'm chairman of in Palo Alto. We meet every month, and you can actually meet him there, svhi.com. And he also runs projectwellbeing.com, where he blogs. Steve has a background with nutritional supplementation. He's a biochemist, and he and his work literally saved my career in my mid-20s when my brain started shutting off. It was his writing about smart drugs and mitochondria that helped me get myself to the point where my brain worked and I could use it to hack the rest of my body. So I'm, uh, I owe Steve a, a debt of gratitude. You heard all that on the last episode already, so I'm cutting it short, his accomplishments. So just listen to this. Go back and hear the first one if you haven't already done it. If not, Steve is back. We're going to talk smart drugs. We're going to talk more about lighting and we're generally going to have a good time. So, Steve, kick it off. Let's talk lighting. I think lighting is one of those um, departures from a, a, a real-life uh, world that we've, we've lost our connection to light. We've lost our connection to um, uh, magnetism. We've lost our connection to food. And every time we depart more and more from our um, roots, our biochemical and biological roots, we end up getting into problems. And uh, so lighting is a really great thing to do because it's relatively easy to do. And if you really want to be, you know, geekish about it, you can get into very, very nice uh, aspects of uh, LED technologies and stuff like that. So if you like toys, you can certainly do that with light. Let's talk toys. $30 Costco. 
I have a strip of LED lights here above my desk, and uh, I'm holding this up. If you're not, if you're driving, you don't see this, but if you're uh, here, you can choose brightness and intensity, and you can choose color spectrum. So right now, you see I have kind of a reddish hue. I've got red lights on, but if I wanted to be like purple, let's see, I have to aim it at the, the lights. There, now I'm kind of purple. You see the uh -huh. how it all changes. So at the touch of a button, you can go, you know, more of a yellow spectrum or just bright white if that's you know what your mood. It's relatively dim right now. So some people know that you can, say, use a blue light in the morning, which will shift your, uh, it'll make you more of a morning person. And if you're traveling for jet lag and all, you can get some benefits from that. And if you listen to most of my podcasts, I've probably mentioned something in a lot of them about amber light at night, cut down your blue spectrum at night so you can go to sleep. But these new technologies that are dirt cheap allow you to do stuff with colors that really wasn't achievable five years ago. The intensity and brightness of the LEDs is there. So Steve, as a biohacker and master of all sorts of strange knowledge, what colors when are optimal for people who want to kick more ass? Well, if you're, if you're in, a, in harmony with your day and your biorhythms are uh, in phase with the light-dark cycle, um, you want to have red light in the morning. It needs to shift towards blue in the middle of the day and for most of the day, blue dominance during the middle of the day. And then it phases back down into red again um, as you prepare for sleep at sunset. And this is the natural cycle. Now, if you're out of phase with the day, you're a night owl or you're a morning lark, then you probably want to push those elements to, to kind of nudge yourself back into alignment with the day. So, for example, if you wake up, poorly, you're a night owl and you wake up poorly, you really want to do red light first thing when you wake up, you know, set up some red lights above your bed, you know, kick off your covers, turn on the red lights and, and you know, bake your body in red and infrared photons. And that will turn on your mitochondria, it'll improve your circulation, and that surge of energy that you'll get from that red light is the same thing that you would get by, for example, eating bulletproof coffee or uh, taking some coconut oil or some MCT oil or doing some exercise. And um, that, you know, creates an acidic momentum that moves you into the day. And the earlier you do that, the more you'll tend to adjust your cycle into the harmony with the normal daylight cycles. So why does the Philips, the Philips Go light, why do they put a blue light in the morning? I always thought that was a bit odd. What What's... What's the a rationale blue light for that? isn't a problem. It's just it has to be red. And so you can move. <laughs> the blue light's not a problem. But it's red at the same time. Oh, okay, got as it. As long as the red photons are there. Right. And they now, aren't in those lights. At nighttime, the blue uh, messes with your melatonin. Yeah. In the morning, you don't care if your melatonin gets suppressed. You right. actually kind of want it to be suppressed. Yeah. So, you know, the blue light in the morning is fine, but you have to have the red light. So if you do fluorescence in the morning, it's not going to help you. It's going to damage you. Yeah, fluorescent lights are just bad all the time, as far as I can tell. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Mounted above my bed, I have a marijuana grow light, <laughs> an LED grow panel from uh, Amazon, which is all red LEDs. It's a really bright one. And I use that. Uh, actually, I use it at night sometimes uh, if I want to read. And I use it in the mornings. And mm -hmm. I do find, though, that after I get out of bed, that turning on the bright halogen lights, which have white, a lot of white and blue, seems to help. But getting a dose of the red is, is a good thing. Yes. Now, I didn't, you're doing it because of its effect on 
mitochondria. Mitochondria. And so, okay, so same effect. Cellular respiration. Okay. And and that happens through something called cytochromase B, yeah. um, which is part of the mitochondrial lining, if memory serves. It's it? the, uh, the, the electron transport chain. Cytochromes absorb infrared and red photons. And because the amount of energy that you get out of the oxygen, hydrogen, you know, redox potential, there's a certain amount of voltage there. And because we get, you know, let's say 70% of that energy out, there's only 30% of the energy that's driving the cycle, which means that it, it makes a huge difference as to the dynamics of putting small infrared photons in. They don't have much energy, but putting them into the cycle to help move the electrons down the, the electron transport chain gives you more ATP, makes your mitochondria more efficient, and that's part of the way in which mitochondria normally operate. They're normally bathed in a, in a light field. There are all these photons coming in from the sun, from being out in the world, and that's, so our mitochondria are optimized for being in that kind of environment. And we don't have that anymore, and a lot of people are weak in that area, so this is one way to encourage it is to say, okay, while I'm in bed in the morning before I get out of bed, I'm a captive audience. I can read a newspaper, read a book, something while I'm laying there with the, with the, with the red lights on me. Or you can set it up in your shower so that it doesn't actually take any extra time. You just flip on the red light when you're in the shower. You do the shower thing. You have the red light from the front and the back. So you're getting, you know, and hopefully you're not enclosed in the shower. So <laughs> your, your skin exposed. It depends so what you drank last night. You no, know, it, it may be an issue if you sleep with, you know, flannel, then you, the issue of taking off, you know, your clothes so that you get direct light on your skin. Um, it really is important to do that. And, and the penetration ability of red light is um, inches and the penetration ability of infrared light is many inches, and there are medical lasers that can actually treat your spine through your stomach. I, I have one, uh, a medical laser that does that with infrared and actually ruby, um, two different heads on it. And I, I've had that for I don't know, almost 15 years now, and it, it's just, just shocking what you can do with light like that. Yeah. How long do you do this for, Steve, in the morning? Oh, it could be five minutes. Got it. And I noticed a boost at night. I sleep better when I have the red lights. I, I believe it's because, in fact, I'll tell you, I know for sure that when my mitochondria are working better, I sleep better. Because Well, it's also the case that um, darkness uh, produces an adaptive response. And so if you are um, not having red light, your dark adaptation mechanism kicks in earlier, and that involves, on, on a major level, cortisol, which is lowest at dusk and then rises during the night to peak at dawn, and so that's a dark adaptation mechanism. And so if you do a graceful uh, photo fading from, uh, you know, blue light to red light before you go to bed at night, that's when your cortisol starts rising. And then if you expose yourself to red light in the morning, that's when your cortisol starts dropping. So you're, in a sense, bracketing your cortisol so that it doesn't bleed into other parts of your life when it would be uh, kind of a cumulative deleterious effect. That is cool. And I didn't actually realize um, that I was bracketing cortisol that way. I haven't looked so much at red lights and cortisol. I've looked at not having blue light at night and melatonin and reducing cortisol. The other benefit of red light, and the reason I started with my grow light, is that red light causes collagen synthesis, which is particularly cool. So if you want to have 
healthier skin, and uh, you and I both are huge collagen fans. In fact, I want to ask you about that in a minute. Um, making more collagen when you have enough vitamin C and you have enough collagen peptide in the body is just a good thing. So mm-hmm. I, I used to mount the grow light actually by my feet in my office. Um, it's you know a panel that's sort of one foot by one foot, but it must have, I don't know, 75 LEDs or something on it. And uh, um, I did move it up to where I sleep because I thought, oh, this would be kind of cool. Have you ever slept with red lights on all night? No. And why would you not want to do that? Uh, I don't know why, but it's just not something that would happen in nature. So that would be my inclination is to say it's a departure from nature. And since I don't have any evidence that this is a good thing, I'd be inclined not to do it. But I mean, I'm looking at that antiquated, like, I think it's a museum piece of a computer behind you there, Steve. And that's a departure from nature. And you do that. I, I mean, where's sure. your other line? <laughs> but I do red lights when I work on a computer at night. Yeah, okay. Same, same here that I do. Yeah. And. Yeah. For people who are so the idea is that mm-hmm. your red light is an antidote for blue light, yeah. And so you know you just use it therapeutically because you know I'm just not willing to give up a computer. Uh, not me either. I mean, let, <laughs> you have to have standards here. I'm going to grab another light to show people. Give me like five seconds here. But this is the one I wanted to uh, to show. This is a twelve dollar light from Amazon. It's a color tunable LED floodlight, and it's twelve bucks. Comes with the same remote control. You can pick the color and everything else. So um, I did a really good job there with the electrical tape of putting the power yeah. cord on there. I mean, high tech. Yeah, super high end. Yeah. But uh, it's kind of cool. So you're talking 12 bucks for a floodlight or around $29 for a strip light that'll run all the way across your desk back and forth and even under your desk if you want. So it's become frighteningly cheap and it's a remote control. You just press a button and you get your red light. You want blue light or you want purple because you're feeling special. It doesn't matter. But uh, this is something that I believe it's going to have far-reaching effects uh, on people's biology. And it just now became available. Before this, you had to put color filters on your lights, and they would smell, and it was just a pain. So this is an area of biohacking that deserves more attention. And, of course, you're on top of it more than I am, Steve, which is just, yeah. how do you do that? But I also encourage the really, really, really low-tech side of it as well, which is an ordinary incandescent heat lamp. What? Incandescent lights? That's right, incandescent lights, 250 watts. See, if they have no mercury, they don't have a curly thing in them, they're not made in China. Come on, like, where's your community spirit here? Yeah, the stuff your grandmother had in her bathroom to stay warm That's with right. the red light, yes, those work perfectly fine. Well, there is a problem, and there's a limit to how much red and infrared you can get into you because of heating effects. You yeah. don't want to ever heat the skin up enough that you start sweating or that you... Uh, feel uncomfortable that just generates heat shock proteins and other you know inflammatory you know mediators so the idea is you want the bulb to be far enough away that when you flip all your covers off and you're naked in the morning for example that you're warm okay how about that now here's a here's a question for you though i take this red light this really bright floodlight i think it's a 30 watt led which is substantially powered and i put it up against my abdomen. I'm, I'm actually increasing mitochondrial function in the gut specifically. And that, that thing is going to penetrate essentially all the way through you. Yeah. And I'll do that for five or 10 minutes. And you can feel a difference in, in how parts of your body work. I put it over sore muscles and things like that. And there are uh, definitely people out there doing research with these on how low levels of light affect mitochondrial function. Do you think it's potentially advisable for, you know, say an athlete, someone like that to maybe use a red light in a more concentrated way on the body? 
or the uh, brain? Sure, um, uh, that it's it's a wide open realm for study, and it makes sense to me that anything that makes mitochondria more efficient can have profound effects. This is another uh, LED light, but this one is uh, a camera illuminator, mm-hmm. 850 nanometer light, and uh, this one reaches very far into the body and really turns on mitochondria to the point that you could probably harm yourself greatly with it. Uh, but if you do it for a short period of time, it causes hormetic improvements in mitochondria. It's like weightlifting for your mitochondria. That's a, that would be highly adapted to, let's say, that kind of therapy in a medical office where they would want you in and out in seven minutes. Uh, yeah, in fact, I think seven minutes is too much. I, I've done five minutes with this light and it knocks me out for a whole day like I'm a zombie. Okay. Two minutes for them to come in, three minutes <laughs> and two minutes yeah. for them to exit. And I haven't talked so much about this except in a couple of South by Southwest presentations, but um, for actually for this one, for 15 years, I've had a farm for red stimulator that I've used on my brain at various times with huge effects. And now it's becoming more mainstream. But this is one of those one of those types of hacks that people oftentimes it sounds too good to be true. Like, really, you shine a, a with a high-tech flashlight on my head, but you just went into the mechanisms, which is, is awesome. I didn't even know we were going to talk about that today, but it figures well, that you would a, know all There's about another it. benefit that we should also yeah. mention, and that is that um, the sinuses are one of the first places that your, your mucous membranes get contact with allergens and infectious agents, and you can, you can shine red light up into your sinuses to uh, augment immune system defense at that, in that level. All right, and I've got my nasal light. You have one of these, don't you? Uh, yeah, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed uh, <laughs> announcer. Have you seen the things? They're actually designed to put in your nose. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, I've been playing around with that as well. Is this? It's good at parties, too. <laughs> so it just clips around your nose. So yeah, This is why you should get the YouTube or the iTunes video version, but you stick it in your nose, and, mm-hmm. I mean, it is so sexy. Like, like the women at parties, <laughs> they, they, they just go for it, right? <laughs> So when you uh, put a yes. light in your nose like that, you're doing this for antigens. I always did it because I'm illuminating the bottom half of the brain and I'm looking for mitochondrial activity in the sinuses. And by way of background, I had sinus infections like every month for 15 years before yeah. I, I, fi- I fixed all this. So yeah, I had the same problem. You did? Okay. So what's the mechanism of action of a red light in the sinuses? Oh, I think you're waking up your mitochondria in the sinuses and in, in doing improving antigen presentation mechanisms and immune system responses and white blood cells invading the mucus layer. I mean, all kinds of things. Okay. Now we both sound like circus freaks at this point, <laughs> but you know, I'm okay with that because the benefits of this kind of stuff are, are there. They're real. And this is stuff that medicine has largely ignored. There's, you know, some cold laser applications, some physical therapists and chiropractors are doing stuff, acupuncture points. But I mean, come on, this is dirt cheap. You can't sell it with a prescription that you have to refill every month. It's not good for business at all, um, it but it's good for us. So I'm, I'm particularly intrigued by this kind of stuff. And it sounds like you are too. Absolutely. Uh, wow, we should have scheduled a whole a whole session on this. We could have both shined strange lights up each other's nose. Oh, that's enough right. lighting. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's switch gears and let's talk about another subject where you are the man. This would be smart drugs and nutrients too. You know, you're the author of, uh, uh, or a co-author of, probably I would say the most influential book out there on smart drugs. Um, there's lots of good publications, but this is one of the seminal works for for lay people to understand what they are and how they work. Even though mm-hmm. it's it's been out for a while, but it's still yes. a solid work. 
Uh, yeah, it's an it's an oldie by now. It is. So let's talk about one that I know that you are a giant fan of, and that is paracetam. It's one of my two favorite smart drugs of choice, and um, I am loaded up right now talking nice. to you with it. Um, I, I really like it for a variety of reasons, and one is that it helps me with my uh, verbal skills and editing skills and speaking skills, the whole language thing is something that my brain isn't optimized for. I got a very lateralized brain where, you know, left brain and right brain are doing different things, which gives me wonderful spatial skills, but really hurts me in the area of verbal skills. And Prasatam allows me to kind of um, bring that level up to, uh, to a level of sufficiency where I'm very happy with it. And there's another, you know, what I call a feminine trait of being multitasking, and um, Prasatam gives me that. So... Did you just say Prasam was feminizing, Steve? Uh, feminine <laughs> rather than feminizing. Um, and, uh, and but I, yes, I, I, I'd like to get in touch with my feminine side. Yeah. On behalf of our, uh, of our approximately 40-something percent female audience, I would say multitasking is a skill that men aspire to. That's true, <laughs> or that they just lust after. Yeah, there you go. And it's a skill that I kind of suck at, uh, although I'm better than I was. And like you, I use another Rastatam. Anaracetam is my favorite. Uh, the Rolling Stone editor uh, had the same effect. I just loved Anaracetam. For me, it's a memory I.O. thing. I drop words less on Anaracetam than I do on Paracetam. But mm -hmm. I'm right now on Anaracetam stacked with phenylparacetam. And I, I take those and Siltep and other stuff on a very regular basis because life is better when your brain can do both things, right? Yes. It's true. But but you do wacky stuff with paracetam. Like you yes. use it for mitochondrial <laughs> function, for I think thyroid. So let's go deeper on paracetam because you're like the master of paracetam. I don't know anyone who knows more about it than you. Like literally in all the people I've ever met, you're the most knowledgeable paracetam hacker. Well, I've discovered a, you know one effect that is just fabulous for me that isn't in the literature in the slightest and that I use paracetam to become a, to switch from a night owl to a morning person. Okay. You just got everyone's attention right now. Like there's 50,000 people <laughs> who slammed their brakes on when you said that. How do we I, use I have no idea whether or not this would work for, you know, 80% of people or only, you know, 8% of people, right, right. but it works for me consistently every time. Okay. Right now, and every Amazon seller of paracetam just ran out of stock. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> So what I do is anytime I notice that I start to drift and I start to stay up late, the next morning I take a, a rounded tablespoon of, of Prasatam, which is probably 10 grams or something like that. Okay. The normal dose is about 800 to 1600 milligrams. So you're taking about five to 10 times the normal dose. Uh, yeah, maybe four times the total daily dose. Yeah. And I take it all in the morning None of it in the rest of the day. So I, I you know, I, I load myself up and that morning I just, you know, slam it down. It tastes like crap, night, Steve. You take a tablespoon of water, it's one of the most horrible tasting supplements out there. Well, I dilute it in eight ounces of water. <laughs> okay, so you chug it. I got it. You know, if I did it in two ounces of water, it would be horrible. But All listen, right. I've, I've spooned raw B-complex vitamins yeah. down my mouth. I'm with you. My taste buds are different than yeah. anybody else's on the planet at this point. They've, they've experienced more raw nastiness so <laughs> paracetam is mild by comparison okay i i get it vitamins so i i slam it down and that night i go to sleep at an, in a reasonable hour and the next morning i wake up at dawn with no alarm clock 
So you do it in the morning when you wake up and you don't want to stay up late. And when do you go to sleep? You go to sleep earlier because you're on paracetam? Or? I actually go to sleep okay. early. And then you wake up the next morning and you're done. How many hours can you shift your schedule in one day? Can I use this for jet lag? Well, if, I'm, if I stay up till two or three in the morning, the next day I'm up, the, the following day after that, I'm up at dawn. So it just automatically sensitizes me. And it, it's all, it, I mean, I don't know. I haven't done more than three or four hours adjustment with this just because I don't travel. I don't have any experience of, of adding the jet lag okay. synchrony to just being a night owl. So, so my next trip to the East Coast, I think I have one coming up within the next 30 days for sure. I have two other trips before then. I'm, I'll try a, a huge amount of paracetam. In the morning. Yeah, I just have, I figure I guess in the morning for where I'm going to be is yes. the way to do it. All right, I have, let's see if this works. This this could be a could be a cool thing. I remember you've it's, talked it's about a, that. It'll make a good podcast at a future event. All right, good deal. All right, wow. All right, that's exciting. What are the other things Parastem does that people don't know about? Um, it's a good remedy for altitude sickness. Um, anybody who gets uh, lightheaded or you know sleepy on airplanes, uh, they crash into trees while they're skiing. Um, Prastam is very, very helpful for that. Um, I used it once on a trip to central Utah when I was at like 8,000 feet. And normally at that altitude, I'd be lightheaded. And I was doing a Down syndrome conference, so I had to be very sharp. So I was doing loading up on Prasatam. And not only was I absolutely clear, so even on the flight, I was, you know, sharp and, and preparing. But when I got there, I felt so sharp that I took a three-wheeler up into the mountains about a thousand feet and followed a, a, a flock of turkeys, wild turkeys, up into the hills where, you know, I was going over all kinds of grade and stuff. And if you know anything about three-wheelers, yeah. they're very unstable. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just, you know, notorious. And I, I had it under control the whole time. It was my first time on a three-wheeler. Well, maybe since I was like four or five years old or something like that. <laughs> Your big wheel didn't count. <laughs> but... And, and it was it was great because I could, you know, I was totally in control. I didn't get fuzzy headed. I didn't crash into anything. I was sharp the whole time. And since then, I've I put out the message about this and other people have gone up and, you know, they live at sea level and they go up and they ski at 10,000 feet and they say, yeah, we did four runs today. And then I came back and I partied all night. It, it makes sense because parastam increases oxygen levels in the brain without changing circulation. And... I have this stack that I use for high altitude mountaineering and a bunch of mitochondrial enhancers because your mitochondria suck up there and you, know, you want some more carbs because you burn carbs better, but funny ketones help. So I have, you know, the whole brain. You don't want to get out of, out of ketosis. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I think probably resistant starch might be good. The you can stuff anyway. Um, but I always take anorastam and paracetam and I remember in Tibet, you know, I was up for long periods of time, you know, 16,000 plus feet you know, sleeping above that altitude. And a lot of people had to go down, you know, even on Diamox, they, they were getting altitude sickness. And literally, I was like, I was hungry, which never happens at high altitude. I, I just felt amazing. Yeah. And I never actually thought whether that time the parastam that's just like part of what I do um, was in effect. In fact, I was on parastam back then. I switched to anorastam because the memory IO effect for me is much better. But there are similar drugs, fat soluble and different, <laughs> you know, half lives in the blood, but they, they're related. So interesting, Steve. I, I'm so glad you said that. So when you're on airplanes, it totally makes sense to be on aracetam. When you're on a surgical table, it makes sense to be on a, I'm not saying on anaracetam, I'm saying on a racetam. Because the racetam <laughs> family includes anaracetam, oxracetam, pramaracetam, phenylparacetam, paracetam, blah, blah, blah. Go to the internet, search racetam, you'll find them. 
Um, why do you stick with the old one, Parastam, the first one, instead of some of these newfangled, fancy ones like phenol that do well, stuff? I'm, uh, one, I'm satisfied with results. Okay. Uh, two, the quality of the research that's been done. It's, it's, uh, there's way more um, research on Parastam than any of the other racetams, no yes. question about it. And three, there's a dishonesty factor in the research that happens with any Me Too drug that comes along. Yeah. So when a, a first drug comes out, it sets the stage and then all these Me Too drugs come in and drug companies have, a, um, have the power to withhold evidence and not report it. So what you tend to see is this filtering of negative findings and a promotion of positive findings which makes me distrust the, the balance of the emerging scientific literature for those kinds of drugs. And the other reason is just that, you know, I've been busy with other things and because I'm so happy with Paracetam, I really <laughs> haven't had that much incentive to try to hack it to a new, new level. Uh, that's a wonderful answer. You know, that, that endless pursuit of perfection, you get a lot <laughs> less return when you just nailed most of it. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of like that with a bulletproof diet, like the new version. I'm like, you know, I, I moved blueberries over a little bit because of BDNF and, and you're like, okay, it's pretty small tweaks at this point, but it's mostly there. And I think you're right. Like for me, um, I read some studies about anorastatam that also talked about, uh, anti-anxiety effects. I'm like, you know, I, I think I'm good with that. And when I ran my own little experiment, but either one, anyone who's listening to this, if you've never tried taking one of the racetams, they have anti-aging benefits, they have cognitive enhancing benefits. If you get in some sort of weird, I'm drowning or I have lack of oxygen to the brain, you won't get brain damage. Like I consider these to be anti-aging drugs as much as smart drugs. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and, and also um, anti-trauma drugs. So, you know, one of the things that I recommend for anybody who does a lot of traveling in automobiles is to have some DMSO, diluted DMSO in their glove compartment. So that if there's a, a trauma and they've damaged their spine, damaged their back, they can just take that bottle and drink it and they protect their spine from paralysis of effects. Of DMSO or DMSO with paracetam in it? No, just DMSO. Uh, okay, this, this, is, this whole... is just one of those things that you can do. You know, okay. Taking DMSO in advance is not good because it gives you bad breath. Yeah, you know, it tastes like garlic. Square. You know, yeah. Yeah. it's very, very, you know, uh, unpleasant socially. But if the, the choice is having bad breath or being paralyzed, it's very obvious that you don't, you, you would take the bad breath. So, you know, you just want to have it on site in that kind of a trauma situation. And if you come across an accident where somebody else is injured, you might be able to give it to them and prevent them from being paralyzed. So, you know, it's one of those emergency things that is very useful to have around. And it's one of those things that no hospital does, that no ambulance carries. Um, all right, so this is one I'm not familiar with. I'm familiar with DMSO. I've used it on and off for years in MSM. But what's the dilution and the dosage that you recommend for this? Because honestly, I'll put a bottle of that in my car. I have no, no question about that. Typically about 1%. So you want 1% DMSO and what, in what volume of water? Uh, well, you, you can, you can, it could be a quart, but you know, you're going to have a hard time fitting that into your glove compartment. Um, but you know, a cup of water with 1% DMSO. Okay. So you drink one cup of water. That's 1% DMSO. Cause I'm just imagining, I don't even know about oral intake of DMSO, how much you're supposed to take. I've always used it topically. So. Right. And, and okay. so that's the typical way it's been studied. 
is to put DMSO on the surface of the spine in the vicinity of the injury mm -hmm. to prevent the damage. But you don't have that luxury if you're in an automobile accident, you're pinned under a car or you're, you have clothes on, cool. take off your clothes, you get arrested. So yeah. what you do is you drink it and it goes to your spine through your bloodstream. So that's just, an, and, it, and plus any tissue of your body gets equally treated if you drink it. Wow. All right. I'm going to add that to my arsenal of cool biohacking tools. I, I do know that if I get any sort of spinal injury or any sort of situation like that, I'm happy I'm already on aniracetam. Uh, I would want to take more paracetam and I'd want to be sitting in the hyperbaric oxygen chamber really quickly, probably with red lights shining on me. But you've got... There you go. Multiple uh, modalities, all of them low tech, but when you add yeah. them all up, it's amazing. And, and if you look at that, what of those is patentable? Well, the combination of anything that is is potentially patentable, but it's a use patent, so it's worthless. Exactly. Um, yeah. By the way, use patents cost about $10,000 if you go with a real legal firm. How do I know? But then you have to defend the patent and yeah. prosecute the patent, and that's infinitely expensive. Exactly. So this is one of those things where the reason you don't hear about this much, other than from some biohackers, is that there isn't the profit motive. And one of the reasons that I started the biohacking thing and talking about it is that there's so much of this out there and if enough people do it and they get knowledge from guys like you and guys like me then suddenly it doesn't really matter if there's a company backing it up because these things work so obviously when you can feel the paracetam the next day well then there you go and there's other things like siltep uh, which i started carrying on the site you know long-term chemical potentiation have you played with that stuff I haven't. Okay, cool. So um, we won't talk too much about that. All right. Tell me about your collagen tryptophan cocktail, because this isn't exactly a smart drug, but it's a brain-affecting thing. Why do you do that? Well, the, the collagen, I mean, you know, most humans can benefit from collagen because, you know, it's kind of a weak system in humans, in the human species. Yeah. We don't make vitamin C, so our collagen maintenance and production is compromised. And just for people um, listening, uh, collagen, the major connective tissue in the body, I don't mean plump lips and eyebrows or anything like that. No. We're this, talking, is, yeah. this is what makes us uh, different from jellyfish. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so Some if you're going to take your arm and you're going to smack it, you know, it's the collagen that prevents you from damaging the tissues and it's what would, the quality of the collagen prevents you from bruising. Okay, so if you have weak collagen, you're at ease of bruising. So anybody who notices that they have random bruises appearing on their body and they can't remember how they happened, you think collagen, vitamin C, that whole family of things. Um, but what I found was that collagen, predigested collagen, when you break the collagen down into absorbable pieces. This is basically it, upgraded collagen. I, I, this is the stuff yeah. I make, right? Yeah. Right. right. And when you, when you do that, all of a sudden, the collagen does something that is very rare, and that is it solubilizes tryptophan. You know, tryptophan, normally a gram will dissolve in like, you know, 30 gallons of water or something like that. So it's extremely non-soluble. You take a capsule of tryptophan, put it into a glass of water, you can stir it for weeks, and it'll just float on the top. It'll never dissolve. And so you put a teaspoon of the collagen protein in, the tryptophan dissolves. And not only that, but you can dissolve four grams of tryptophan in one glass of water. Wow. And when you dissolve it, when you take that collagen with tryptophan, you're going to go to sleep. Uh, well, it depends on how much you take, but yes. 
Okay. Uh, or you can bring somebody down from depression. They're suicidal. You can bring you know bring them down. If somebody is anxious and nervous, you can calm them down. Their tryptophan has all kinds of benefits like that. But because the tryptophan is solubilized, it's absorbed very very rapidly in the digestive system. Instead of it taking hours to absorb, it absorbs in minutes. And if it, if you warm it up so it's actually tea that you're drinking, it absorbs even faster. And it facilitates the blood-brain barrier transport of tryptophan. Because the collagen protein doesn't have tyrosine and phenylalanine and histidine, those amino acids that would otherwise compete against tryptophan are not present. And therefore, the, the, the gatekeeper for tryptophan transport is wide open. So couldn't I just take a tryptophan capsule and drink some collagen in water and get the effect, or do I need to mix them ahead of time? Well, it wouldn't be solubilized. It would have to dissolve in your in your gut, in your stomach. Would it solubilize there in a reasonable amount of time, or it's probably not? Not really. Okay. If you just take tryptophan and predigested collagen protein, you put them together in the same glass of water and stir it, it takes about 30 minutes for the tryptophan to dissolve. So there's a lead time for that. Now, if you wanted to use it for anxiety purposes, you could just put the tryptophan and protein into a used water bottle and sure. put it in your purse or in your, in your bag and take it with you on the road. And by the time you got to lunch, it would be all dissolved because you'd have these, you know, this little bit of stirring effect that would happen. So it's not like you need to stir it all the time, but the, the, the peptides in the protein have to stack on the tryptophan to make it soluble. Wow. And so that takes a while for that to happen. This is remarkable. I, I did not know about this. This is why I always like, I miss going to those meetings, the uh, SVHI meetings. Uh, I don't get to them as regularly as I did when I lived in the Bay Area uh, because you know you always know stuff like this, Steve. Well, that's that's part of just experimenting with things, just trying things out. You know, you've yeah. got the, the, the tryptophan here and you've got the protein there and just at some point randomly try it and oh, wow, look at that. That is so phenomenal. I've never looked at tryptophan uh, solubility. I've looked at 5-hydroxytryptophan. 5-HTP is a very well-known sleep remedy, and it's one that uh, it benefits some people. Long-term use maybe is tied with cancer, and there are some concerns about it raising serotonin levels in the blood versus the brain. Uh, what's your take on 5-HTP versus tryptophan for sleep or for anxiety? It's basically um, their equivalent uh, in, in low doses you know, for raising serotonin levels in, the, in a kind of physiological kind of context. But tryptophan is rate limiting, is rate limited. And therefore, you can't really take too much tryptophan easily. You really have to work at it. Whereas 5-HTP, you can. You can overdrive the system because 5-HTP is past the rate limiting step. So it's like, you know, full blast. Uh, but in terms of solubility, they're they're very similar in terms of uh, you know five hydroxytryptophan not being as soluble as many compounds are, and that the the collagen protein helps dissolve the five HTP. Uh, but the five HTP is fundamentally more soluble than tryptophan, so you don't need it as much. But in terms of the of the the blood brain barrier transport system, five um, HTP is like tryptophan. It's at the end of the line. It's at the back of the bus. And so it's the last one to get on and get through into the brain. Um, so th that matters. And also there's, there's a, um, an enzyme that destroys tryptophan and 5-hydroxytryptophan that's activated by inflammation. And so if you happen to be somebody who's in a state of chronic inflammation, neither tryptophan or 5-hydroxytryptophan will work very well for you. And the collagen protein 
gives you a technique for sneaking it past that enzyme that would otherwise trash it. Okay, interesting. So maybe 5-HTP is preferable for some people? Yeah, or or the, the collagen 5-HTP okay. mixture would be preference. So if you oh, take- collagen with 5-HTP, not collagen tryptophan? So you're- you can mix. You can do either Interesting. one. Okay, so, I'm going to try uh, that. I do 5-HTP so sometimes. If somebody has this inflammatory issue, what they'll tend to notice is that they'll take tryptophan or 5-hydroxytryptophan before bed to sleep better. And even though they may sleep better, they don't wake up very well. And the next day they feel off. I call it a kind of malaise where, you know, it's just things aren't quite right and you feel off and your brain feels a little bit, you know, poisoned. And that's because that enzyme, indolamine dioxygenase, IDO, burns up the tryptophan and 5-hydroxytryptophan, and those byproducts are toxic to the brain. Uh -huh. So if you take that, you take the tryptophan and 5-hydroxytryptophan, let's say, you know, two days later, a week later, and you mix it with the protein, the collagen protein, and you take it, and you don't wake up with that next day malaise, that means you have high IDO and inflammation, and that collagen is sneaking it through your system. Wow. So for inflamed people, mixing 5-HTP or tryptophan with collagen before bed is a better move. So uh, you learned something. it's a diagnostic technique. So you can actually diagnose inflammation Based on by the a differential response with the collagen protein. So cool. So if you're inflamed, collagen is going to make you feel better the next day. If you're not inflamed, you'll just, you won't get a hangover from it. All right. This is really cool. So this is hacking. If you're listening to this and you are curious about your inflammation levels, and I, I actually recommend you get your labs done, do your Wellness FX panel, get your C-reactive protein and LPPLA2, and uh, I say homocysteine and C-reactive protein, whatever. Uh, all all the different various inflammation markers that we talk about all the time. But on top of that, what Steve's talking about here, no lab test required, and you're probably already <laughs> taking collagen if you listen to the podcast regularly because it's good for you and it's good for your connective tissues and everything else. And it's a less inflammatory source of protein. So you're already doing that. Here's a test. Um, all right. There's three things I recommend people do before bed, Steve. And I want you to tell me why I'm wrong. Some people really respond well to raw honey before bed. Okay. And these people, the, the theory goes that when you use raw honey, it raises and stabilizes your blood, your blood glucose levels. So not super high, but it keeps them stable for six or sometimes more hours. So you're not getting hypoglycemic crash. So you, your brain works better because it's properly fueled at night. I often tell those people, well, you're at it, throw some brain octane in there. So you have some ketones present as well. Some people just do fine on plain brain octane. Some people want honey and brain octane, different brains like glucose, different brains like the brain octane oil. And then there's another group of people who benefits from having collagen before bed. And some of them do collagen with brain octane. So the idea is some people want the amino acids and the energy from the fat. Some people want the energy from the fat and glucose. And some people want just glucose. It seems very individualized. I haven't found one thing that works for everyone. What are the pros and cons of each of those? Well, they all make sense to me. I mean, there's uh, raw honey has um, not only that blood sugar stabilizing effect, but it has two other effects. One is it's antimicrobial. Yeah. And therefore, if you have a sugar-fungus interaction, candida, for example, where when you eat sugar, you're going to get fungal mycotoxins that will be produced in your gut, um, the honey will tend to inhibit that. Especially with brain octane, right? Caprylic right. acid has a pretty uh, strong effect. But also, the honey 
anytime you raise your blood sugar above its normal level, you're going to get enhanced tryptophan into the brain to produce serotonin. And this has to do with the fact that the sugar stimulates the liver to store tyrosine and phenylalanine and histidine, those large neutral amino acids. When the blood sugar goes up, they tend to be stored and therefore it alters the ratio of amino acids to facilitate tryptophan moves up in concentration and then it flows into the brain better. So you would put honey into the collagen tryptophan mixture to rock the way it works? Well, you could. Hmm. Um, and But I, my concern is that any sugar-mediated way of augmenting tryptophan has a byproduct of producing insulin resistance, which is a big downside. Yeah, we don't really want insulin resistance. We don't really want that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of ketones, yeah, the brain gets used to ketones. Some people can get revved up on them. It might keep them from sleeping or have them sleep with violent and, and dynamic dreams. Um, so, uh, you know, that would be my concern that somebody would, would uh, probably need to be in some level in ketosis a lot of the time to handle that gracefully. Um, and collagen is, uh, it's missing tryptophan. So it's not only missing tyrosine and phenylalanine and histidine, it's also missing tryptophan. So, but if you, so if you took the collagen, you mixed a little bit of tryptophan in it to replace that one that's missing, then I would guess that you would get phenomenal sleep effects from it as a pre-sleep aid. Okay, that makes great sense. Uh, in terms of using the brain octane oil um, before sleep for ketones, any downside to that that you know about? Oh yeah, you rev yourself up too much. Oh, so yeah, some people too can't, much energy. Some people can't sleep because they're so angry. That's right. Okay, I, I get yeah. that. And, you know, it's just yeah. like you know, you're sticking your finger in an electric socket. You're not going to sleep. Um, if if it's that stimulating for like for me and for a lot of people, having better mitochondrial energy equals better sleep because yeah. there's something you I'm sure you know about this, but for our listeners, there's the glymphatic system. Like we just sort of figured out that the the cells in your brain. Uh, they kind of drain their fluids at night and it gets pumped out through cerebrospinal fluid and then they reinflate. This is one of the toxin removing things and it's, it uses mitochondria to do that. So I have found that my ability to get less sleep and feel amazing in the morning is tied to mitochondrial activity. The stronger my mitochondria, the better I feel them, the less sleep I need in order to feel restored the next day. So I can go to sleep in three minutes. It doesn't matter what's happening because I have control of my sleep cycle. So there yeah. you go. Okay. There's also a, a kind of uh, a phenomenon that's been noted in some of the chat rooms of people who are taking thyroid hormone, where they're now taking a fraction of their thyroid hormone before bed at night on an empty stomach and having better sleep. I'm, and that's obviously a mitochondrial thing. It's obvious to you and me. <laughs> um, I may have to try that. I'm, I'm down to almost no thyroid. I, I used to take quite a bit, and I'm down to 2.5 um, whatever micrograms of, of T3 in a sustained release, you know, very low dose, and I'm not even taking T4. But I used to take you know, 10 instead of 2.5, and I took 100 uh, of uh, T4. So I'm, yeah, I'm almost done with my thyroid meds, but uh, doing it before bed, I, I, thanks for reminding me that. And a lot of the people listening to this are on thyroid medication, and a lot of them aren't, but should be. So if you're listening to this and you have brain fog and you're tired and slow and things aren't working right, you're cold when your friends aren't cold, like it's time to start biohacking your thyroid function for sure. All right, let's see here. What other things do we have time to talk about? We have about like- How about T3 in the morning to wake up to? Instead of coffee, T3. For those people who can't tolerate the MCT or the butter or the coffee, 
they could take a small dose of T3 in the morning as a, as a coffee substitute. I take my, I actually wash my T3 down with the coffee. And any downside to that? Well, it just, <laughs> you know, if you're not climbing the walls and if your wife doesn't divorce you, it's okay. <laughs> and of course, you need the brain octane for more energy. Like, I, I've got uses for this energy, man. <laughs> All right, let's see. We, we don't have time to go into vitamin C or GHB, which are the other two things that I would, I would love to pick your brain Thanks. on sometime. So we'll, I'd, I'd love to have you back on, Steve. And maybe next time I'm in the Bay Area, we can actually set up a camera and do this live in person, which would be the most fun. So we'll, uh, we'll set it up, but you're always welcome. If you have something you want to share, just drop me a line. You're welcome on the show. Like you're one of the guys. And uh, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of doctors who know little, like they know this thing or they know this thing. But honestly, if I'm stuck, the first guy that I can think of to call is you. Like, honestly, it's it's going to be obscure and you're going to know it. And I don't know anyone else with that level of just broad ranging knowledge. So a lot of respect and uh, and gratitude. So thank, thank you. It's been a blast. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. And thanks for the work you've done for way longer than I've been doing any of this stuff. Tell people your URL and where they can find out more about you. And you also do uh, individualized coaching sessions for people, right? I do. And uh, you can get in touch with me at projectwellbeing.com and go to the Steve page. Now, all my contact information is there, you know, links to other sites and, you know, uh, books and stuff. There's a free book on antiviral therapy that you can download. So, you know, one page on thyroid hormone, it's all there on that one page. So that's the best place to go. So the, the interesting thing people should know about you, Steve, is that, you know, aside from being like a national treasure of biohacking, is that uh, you're very accessible. Like if you go to the, the third Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. at the Cubberley Community Center in Palo Alto, just go to SVHI, as in Silicon Valley Health Institute, dot com. And uh, org, I think. Uh, I think we have both dot com, dot oh, org. Okay. Yeah. But uh, um, you can go there and you can learn how to get in there. It's five bucks to get in. There'll be a lecture from someone who knows a lot about something interesting around biohacking. And Steve mm -hmm. will be there along with a few other guys who are of similar sets of knowledge. And there's a community forum where a half hour you can just ask questions and Steve will explain anything. And I've learned so much. A lot of my biohacking has come from this community of experts. They're all there and Steve is one of them. And uh, it's one of the things I miss most about the Bay Area. I know that I'm living up here in Canada, eh? Yeah, in the wilderness. All right, in the wilderness, exactly. Now, Steve, there's, there's a question. You're not getting away without answering this. And it's uh -oh. one that every guest, except one when I forgot, uh, has answered. And the question is, what are your top three recommendations for people who want to perform better, people who just want to kick more ass? This doesn't have to be supplements or drugs. Just given your life experience, the three most important pieces of advice you have for someone. It's so contextual. I mean, <laughs> there, there are certain sleeper things, for example, that I run into when I deal with clients. Like, for example, if you're male and you're 40 years of age or older, get, your ferret, get an iron assessment. Get yeah. your ferritin and your TIBC and your transferrin and and free iron measured, you know, look at that whole issue of iron toxicity. Shouldn't you just uh, donate blood as a general rule? And I well, I, that's okay. how I handle it is I, I get blood three times a year, like clockwork. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of people don't and they're too busy or they don't like getting stuck with needles, you know, whatever the reason. And this is one of those, you know, one of those things that can sneak up and kill you in two weeks and when you're not expecting it, you know. You go from being healthy to being sick as a dog in two weeks. You know, so that would be something that I would put on my list of things that I've talked about. It's in my medical directive. 
you know, to, to in terms of how to respond to issues of anemia and iron supplementation. The other thing would be, in terms of supplementation, uh, take an ordinary um, high-potency multivitamin and mineral. You know, this is a lifestyle thing. It's kind of minimum insurance across the entire spectrum of nutritional needs. And uh, the other thing would be about the, the psychological side, the spiritual side of living to old age is cultivate happiness, cultivate joy, cultivate appreciation in your life. That is definitely one we've heard before. And, and speaking of living to an old age, and for people who are watching us on YouTube, uh, YouTube, <laughs> YouTube or <laughs> iTunes, that's like when you combine the two together, that doesn't happen for 10 more years. Uh, but uh, for people who are watching the video here, like you, you're looking pretty healthy. No one would guess you were 107. <laughs> Almost twice off. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, you are one of the, the pioneers in the anti-aging field, and uh, you've applied these things to yourself. And it shows in your cognitive swiftness and just you know, the way the way you handle yourself uh, mentally is is very impressive. So uh, this is a guy who has uh, walked the walk a lot longer than I have and uh, has had, I would say, phenomenal results. So uh, thanks for all the work you do. Thanks for being on the show. And Likewise. you are welcome back anytime. Thank you. One of my favorite sources of protein is upgraded collagen protein. This is a pre-digested form of collagen that comes from grass-fed cows. Collagen is a connective protein. In fact, it's one of the more common proteins in your body. It forms the matrix that your bones grow on. It forms the connective tissue for your skin and your hair and your nails. And it's one of those things you don't really get to eat if you eat a modern diet. We tend to eat the muscles from an animal and we leave behind all the cartilage and all the skin and all the other parts that are less attractive to eat. It turns out that upgraded collagen has all of that goodness in it so you can keep regenerating your own tissues that are based on collagen and it has a very mild flavor. In fact, I put it in my Bulletproof coffee and it doesn't change the flavor in a noticeable way but it gives a really nice head of foam on it so this is a great way to add protein to your day. For people who are looking at resetting their leptin levels, one of the tricks to do that is to have 30 grams of protein in the morning. So the way to modify your Bulletproof coffee is to make it the way you would, ideally with brain octane oil, and then add about four tablespoons of the upgraded collagen protein to it. When you do that, you'll end up feeling a huge difference. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.